How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, the host, and today's guest is Sports Illustrated's Rob Mahoney, a smart, intellectual basketball mind, and we go around about the craft of the game into a fabulous conversation. Hope you're doing great. Thanks very much for tuning in. I think you're really going to like this one with Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated. He's got a new podcast we talk about a little bit. We end up kind of going off the rails of what we designed until we do a rapid fire at the end uh, on some of the hot topics that are going on. And so uh, hope you really enjoy it. We get very much into the craft of the game of basketball. Thank you so much for the thank yous to David Thorpe and to Kevin Pelton. I love that that has become a signature of who we are and who you are as listeners to the show that we send out the Twitter thank you notes to everybody. If you get a chance to to do the same for Rob, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, Rob's Twitter account is R-O-B-M-A-H-O-N-E-Y, Rob Mahoney, just at Rob Mahoney, if you can send him a thank you as well. We have three sponsors to today's program. We're very thankful to them. SeatGeek with the promo code LOCKED. SeatGeek with the promo code LOCKED gets you $20 back on your first purchase. Use SeatGeek for all your uh, ticket-buying purchases. Go down, download the app, go to the settings tab, enter in LOCKED. Sherry's Berries. Man, these are awesome. Sherry's Berries. My daughter is just over the moon about them. My wife loved them. They were gone. I, I think I can take these road trips. I don't think they're, uh, I have any chance. It's gift like no other for the, your love like no other. Sherry's Berries. Just $19.99 plus shipping. And again, the, go to berries.com and use the promo code LOCKED. And thanks to Blue Apron as well. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. Three free pre, uh, meals for you with the promo code. And this one's a little different. L-O-C-K-N-B-A. L-O-C-K-N-B-A. So those are our sponsors today we're very thankful for them here comes rob mahoney if you missed the last one it was kevin pelton before that david thorpe there's a lot of good contact on content on locked on nba and you should have by now hopefully subscribe to your favorite nba teams podcast there's a locked on podcast for each and every nba team so please subscribe to that as well all right let's get it started with rob mahoney well, Rob, I didn't plan to start here, but I don't know. People are probably where I, I like podcasts. Um, and it sounds like you are starting a new one that is just fascinating. Tell uh, – you wrote all these great pieces about what the craft, I think is what you called it, about how the kind of the inner workings of the game, and now you're bringing this to the podcast form? Yeah, yeah. The podcast is called Breakaway, and it's really just kind of looking at the NBA through – the lens of these big ideas about how the NBA actually works. So the first episode is about role and role players in particular. Uh, so Robin Lopez with the Chicago Bulls takes us through how he kind of grew into being an NBA role player, how he approaches the game. And I think a lot of it's about 
so much about basketball is more cerebral than the average fan might, might realize and even than the average role player might realize everything that's firing off in their brain it's it's surprisingly complicated and so this episode's kind of looking into that concept and every two weeks there'll be a new episode and we're kind of looking at the nba through a different lens in that regard this uh sounds great it reminds me of a conversation i think it was with coach sloan and he said i was asking about a player this was a player who i think it averaged 20 plus in college and was all this and all that and high usage rate college player and wasn't really working out great and i was kind of like and he's like how does he fit tell me how he fits and it was kind of one of this aha moments to me like okay everybody here's a great player by the time they get drafted now figure out how you fit well, especially for guys like that who are rewiring their brain in a lot of ways. I mean, when you think about how you know a three and D wing approaches the game, the openings they're looking for, the spaces they're trying to run to, when they want to get the ball, and a lot of the three and D wings in the NBA, that, that guy was the best team on every team he played for before he got to the NBA. And so when you get to that level where suddenly you're passed by by these superstar scorers who are just on another level. You really have to change everything you know about how you're playing the game and see it from this different angle. It's it's a really tough task, and I think we probably need to give more credit for the guys who execute it smoothly. I have a theory on young players uh, in this league that they are like Oreo cookies. Now, you're probably much healthier than I am, Rob, unless you've decided with your six foot seven frame that you're allowed to eat anything. Uh, I'm the guy sitting here in a hotel in New Orleans with three chocolate chip cookies sitting up on the counter that I were all purchased at different places yesterday because they looked good, and we'll see what I eat them. But uh, not, So no surprise I used the Oreo cookie. But the Oreo cookie itself is fabulous, right? Like, I mean, it's just really, you know, I'm sure there's some genetically modified things in here, but it's pretty, pretty awesome. And if you dip an Oreo cookie in milk, you can turn something that's really, really good into something divine unless you over dip it and then it crumbles and it falls apart and it's just in the bottom of your cup of milk and then it's like it's a total waste. And I do feel like a little bit of young players going through the league and emerging in this league that they can be over dipped and they can crumble if and then or be used incorrectly and that there's this art to getting a young player to to work, which is dipping it as an Oreo cookie, just the right amount in the milk, or frankly, you just leave it as it is, which is really, really good, but generally you're trying to make it fabulous. It is, and, and I think this is one of those areas where, you know, when you get into player development, you kind of always wind up back in San Antonio for some reason, and it's one of those things where when you talk about like guys like Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, who, I mean, what the Spurs took these raw talents, these guys who were super aggressive players, and first reined them in and then let them go. And like the way that they did that and the precision with, with which they did that is so difficult. And so many teams have tried it and they, you know and, and Russell Westbrook is maybe another great example of this of a guy who, you know, really had to be pulled back in some ways, but then the end result is this unrelenting force. And, you know, getting the timing of that just right and doing it in a way where you're not buckling the player's confidence in what they're good at is is a really tricky thing for a coach. I think a lot of ways separates the really great developmental staffs from even just the pretty good ones. And and then you get the injury factor into it. You wrote the piece about Zach Levine this, uh, in Minnesota. I'm watching Dante Exum right now. I think Levine's recovery 
might be a little easier than what Jabari Parker went through and what Dante is going through because I think he knows who he is as a player in the NBA. But I'm watching Dante try to come back from an ACL and not know who he is as a player in the league right now. That's when this gets really complicated. Yeah, I mean, when you can't get that footing first and not even just prove to yourself, but prove to your teammates exactly what it is that you do well, prove to your coaches and and coaches around the league who are going to be game planning for you a certain way as a result of that. I don't envy that position. And, you know, there's got to be a lot of uncertainty, you know, physically, even just knowing when you plant that leg, there's going to be a little bit of doubt there for a while. And even once that goes away, then you're back to basically square zero, you know, back to really starting out as a rookie all over again. Uh, Dante is, is such a talented guy, and I'm really curious to see how his career turns out. But there's no question he has a big undertaking ahead of him. And, uh, boy, the impact on Minnesota on that one is just just mammoth. I mean, it, Levine becomes almost like they have decisions they have to make. Levine is now a non-movable entity for probably two years. Right. And you, and during this period, especially, you know, Tom Thibodeau's system and the way they're kind of still trying to figure out their defensive principles and still getting this young team up to speed on how to execute NBA level defense. And during this time, you want to get as much data as possible on what the Wolves look like with Levine, Wiggins, and Towns all on the floor together. And there have been kind of weird permutations with that where, okay, they're they're really kind of been better with just one of Wiggins or Levine at a time, and you can kind of understand why neither one of those guys is really up to speed defensively yet at a level where, you know, you really want one good wing, you know, versatile wing defender who you can move around. And maybe Wiggins ultimately ends up being that guy, but he's not there yet. And Levine certainly has a long way to go in terms of understanding weak side defense and really figuring out where he fits into things once the pieces get rotating. And even Towns, for his part, really isn't there from an effort level and an execution level on defense yet. And so during these early stages when really the losses aren't coming at a price, you still have a lot of goodwill from bringing Thibodeau into the organization. Everyone understands that these guys are young. Even if people maybe you know overshot how good this team was going to be in terms of wins coming into the season, I think you know nobody's going to be held accountable at the end of this year for the fact that they're not a very good team yet. And so the, the fact that you lose those valuable developmental opportunities, it's a tough blow. And especially for a guy like Levine where when he comes back, you don't know that he's going to be 100% of the athlete he was when he left. Uh I, Rob, I apologize because I sent you a list of topics. I, I blame this actually on my friend Nate Duncan. I, I don't know if you've done a podcast with Nate, but he like sends you this really impressive list of questions. And I just figure I'm going to talk basketball with another guy who knows basketball really, really well, and we'll figure out where it goes. And I'm already, like, we're seven, eight minutes in, and we haven't touched on one thing I said we were going to. So I apologize, and I'm going to continue down that road if you don't mind. Um, if <laughs> Please you, do. If you did your opening podcast on Robin Lopez, there's a reason, because you, like the, you liked something about him, and you probably feel he's a bit underappreciated. We all have players. We like who are some of the other guys in your mind in this league that maybe you think aren't as appreciated for what they do. Anybody else come to mind? Well, my default answer over the last couple of years has been George Hill, and that's not pandering. That's just I've always been a George Hill guy. So he's that answer, I think, is now a little bit off the table. I think people are catching up a little bit there. Um, it's tough because it depends on who you're talking to, right? If you're talking to the average basketball fan, I think you know guys like Ricky Rubio are a good litmus test in terms of guys who are 
good at so many distinct things, but their flaws are so evident that if you're watching a Timberwolves game, you just get frustrated by the fact that he can't make layups. And he can't make layups. Like, there's no arguing around that, and he can't shoot threes particularly well, although apparently that's been up for debate on these some of his streakier shooting over these last couple weeks. Uh, but guys, I don't know, defensively, it, you know, defense is one of those things that's so hard to capture if you're just a, a guy tuning in for one occasional game of a team. So, yeah, there's that level. And then on a, on another level, I'm trying to think of who I get into disagreements with with NBA people or with kind of uh, more dedicated writers. Nobody's jumping to mind, admittedly. Most of it's just kind of differences in taste or opinion. Uh, but Lopez is definitely of that type where it's really just a distinction between – people who are looking at a particular mold of player and thinking they have to do specific things in order to be successful and Lopez going about a different model. And yet when you look at, you know, plus minus data, when you look at lineup constructions, when you look at specific synergies with teammates, he's a guy who just consistently comes out to be pretty positive. Well, that leads us to a flaw in our media. And I'll talk to Rob about that in a second. But first, Let's talk about SeatGeek, if I may. SeatGeek is revolutionizing how the ticket industry works and makes it a million times better for you. And that's what's so cool. Done are the days of searching the classified, wondering about this broker versus that, that broker, this company versus that company. SeatGeek's going to get all of those for you on one app at one spot. Go to your Play Store. Go to your iTunes Store. Download the app, SeatGeek. It just sits on your phone, and then when you want to go to an event, you can sit there and you tap it. And boom, there it is, the list of all the events. You go to your event, and the second part, now the first part is that all of the tickets are compiled from all of those different sources at one spot for you, which is so terrific. The second thing that's so great for you is they then give you a ticket score of every single event that is there. So if you want to go to a, some reason my phone thinks I'm in Wichita, Kansas right now. So if I want to go see Eric Church in Wichita, Kansas, I click on it. I know nothing about the Intrust Bank Arena in Wichita, Kansas. And so it tells me about the arena and tells me where the best tickets are and which each gives every ticket a ticket score. Then it's secured right to your phone so that you don't have to worry about it, and you have it right on your mobile. You don't have to go get it. You have to go to this, do that. It's making ticket buying easy again. It's SeatGeek. Use the promo code LOCK when you download in the settings tab, and you get $20 back on your first purchase. Yeah, we have probably a flaw in our, in our media coverage right now. There, there's a lot of groupthink. There's not, and I think there might be, that might be, <laughs> we could get nationwide on this issue, that just when you have the Twitter cycle and circle that you have of everything now, it's very hard for anyone to get outside of the regular thought process on how things work. No, it's very true. And and to be fair, I mean, it's coming from sources that you trust. It's people who you've read them enough to know what their thought process is on teams and players. And it's hard to discount the fact that little voice in the back of your head when you see other people whose opinions you respect consistently praise or consistently criticize a player or just point out some specific aspect of their game, you're going to look for it in the same way that, you know, when you watch an NBA game, unless you've really put in a lot of work, you're going to look for box score elements, whether you realize it or not. You're going to look at steals as being good defense. You're going to look at points as being good offense, even if those things aren't necessarily true. And so in order to, in order to get kind of the cleanest read on the NBA game, you can, it takes a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of training, a lot of kind of ironing out 
uh, those biases. And I mean, the group thinking in Twitter, especially, as you mentioned, and it's one of those things where for our jobs, we have to be on Twitter in order to keep up with the news, in order to keep up with this flow of great writing that's going on around the league and, and great podcasts that are going on around the league. And it, it's it's tough to separate those two elements from it. I try to stay off, honestly, during games as much as possible, uh, not only because I find it incredibly distracting to me and I'm finding that I'm missing things when I'm when I'm paying attention to Twitter rather than watching, but just to try to get my, at least my notes I know are these things that I thought of, at least to to the extent that I can draw that line as much as possible. Well, that's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. Uh, continuing continue on this, uh, on the craft idea of things, just because uh, – oh, actually, let me back up. Sorry. Uh, in that conversation about groupthink, I had lunch. I was fortunate enough I had this incredible lunch the other day with Frank Layden and Jerry Sloan and some other people, which was really pretty awesome, by the way. As a <laughs> lifelong Utah Jazz fan, that was, like, really awesome. Uh, and I asked Jerry how much he watches now, and he says, I watch a lot, but every game's the same. And I was like, he's so right. Every game is the same. Almost every team plays the exact same way right now. Do you really think so? I don't find that to be necessarily true. Have, uh, high dosage pick and roll. Space the floor the best you can. A lot of false action before we get to the core action. Sure. That stuff is undeniably true. I mean, the pick and roll thing is kind of unavoidable with the way that the rules have evolved over time. And maybe it's one of those things where if it gets stale for whatever reason or if, you know, defenses get a step ahead of it, maybe there's another rule change and things expand in a different way. But it just creates such a beautiful brand of basketball, such an aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. I don't know that I've ever, you know, in going from game to game, night after night after night, thought, man, I wish I saw less of this kind of diversionary tactic or pick and roll play. I mean, I think that kind of unlocks the game in a way that makes it really fun for every level of basketball fan to get something out of. No, and I, I don't disagree with that. I think actually the greatest thing about the game right now is if you're a fan and you're going to go watch the Rockets, you're getting a full dose of James Harden, and then you're getting a full dose of Isaiah Thomas in Boston and a full dose of LeBron in Cleveland. I compare it to people ask me what's wrong with baseball. I said, what's wrong with baseball is I go to see Mike Trout. I see him once an hour. Like I, 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 tr I played college baseball. I'm a huge baseball. Well, I was. I don't know if I am anymore. Uh, big baseball fan. I literally think they should get rid of batting orders. What would you propose? Just That you open the game with your first three hitters, and then from that point on, either we could have a rule that somebody can only hit once an inning, which gets into really interesting strategy, or frankly, if Mike Trout gets out, why can't Mike Trout just come up again? Like, I'm paying a buttload of money. I want to see Mike Trout rather than the 235 hitting left fielder. No, I mean, good luck pushing any significant reform through the orthodoxy of that game. Right. But that is, I mean, the idea would be like if LeBron gets his shot, that now everybody else has to get a shot before LeBron comes up, <laughs> right? No, absolutely. And and this is kind of why I think, and you know, the NFL is still obviously hugely popular, uh, but it's still, I think, in the way people talk about it, it's still such a quarterback league because that's the guy who you see play after play after play. I think even if a team has an amazing wide receiver. Everyone's frustration stems around, oh, well, he's getting, you know, defenses are denying him in a way that maybe even helps his team, but we don't get to see that guy do what he does best. And I think in, in basketball, there's just no way to do that. You can trap, you can throw as much pressure as you want at LeBron, but he's still, like, the passing is still the thing. You know, the passing is still his ability to get out of those situations 
is as entertaining as watching him drive. It's as entertaining as watching him do anything else. And so the dynamics of having a game that's not only more intimate in terms of the size of the rosters and the people who are in play at one time, but like you mentioned, where you're getting the best of these superstars every game and you're watching defenses bend over backwards to figure out what they can do to even stop a slice of that. I mean, to me, that's what makes basketball and specifically the NBA the best sports product on the planet. So right now the league has this phenomenal – we have these incredible numbers being put up. I get to see Anthony Davis tonight, whether it's Harden or Westbrook or little Isaiah Thomas or whatever is going – I mean, the stars are peeking out, and the game is allowed to happen. It's it's a case of spacing. It's a case of the value of the corner three and not wanting to leave shooters, which allows these guys – is there a counter to this? Like, what is the next? There always seems to be an ebb and a flow. Is there a next step in this? Is there a defensive answer anywhere? We're in a bit of an offensive explosion as efficiency and effective field goal percentage is rising more than it has in any one season in a long time. What's your feeling, Rob, if there's an answer to this? I think there has to be. And I don't think this is, you know, I don't think this goes in a straight line. I don't think we just keep going up and up and up in terms of teams getting more and more spaced out. I think, you know, even with kind of the Steph Curry effect, which if you play even recreational basketball, you can see people taking threes deeper and deeper every passing month. Uh, and I think there will be kind of an influx of guys in the Lonzo Ball mold who are willing to take different kinds of shots, and that's fine. Um, and that's going to shape the game in a certain way. But there is going to be a pushback, and there is going to be an interesting kind of dynamic in terms of – I wonder and, – and I heard you talking with Kevin Arnovitz about this on uh, ESPN's podcast about posting up and the role that it's going to play in the evolving NBA. And it, it really is one of those things where the only way you post up efficiently and effectively in this kind of setting with defenses playing the way that they are is if you can get it, get it in really quickly. And you only get it in really quickly – if you practice it a ton, I mean, getting into quick entry is one of the hardest things to do with the way that de- you know defenses are set up right now. And so if teams really dedicate that idea. And again, you're only getting a shot that in the grand scheme of things is not going to be super efficient. So you have to wonder about the diminishing returns there. But in terms of zigging where other teams zag, in terms of finding a way to diversify out of a pick and roll heavy offense. And eventually, I think then one of the things is in time, defenses are not going to be that effective in terms of one on one defending in the post if you can get it in there fast enough. Uh, so I think there are some interesting dynamics in terms of going inside. I do think – I mean the game is going to stretch out more in terms of what a defense can do. Man, if I had that answer, I'm sure I'd be employed by an NBA team right now. It's interesting on the entry pass element of things. I, I People have always said the post game's disappeared. I, my feeling is the entry pass has disappeared. The amount of times we have somebody – you see somebody who's got a mismatch in the post and they can't actually get the ball there. And the other day it dawned on me par- partially why. I'm trying to think of who you're playing. Uh, but George Hill had a post up, and I realized, well, the guy who's throwing the entry pass is now a four or a five, right? Because everything's inverted by the time you go to the post. You're not going to Carl Malone in the post guarded by Akeem Olajuwon anymore. You're going to the post when you've created a switch in some funky fashion that's got either, you know, George Hill on somebody who's not used to defending in the post, or you've got – maybe you can get Derek Favors on a mismatch. But it's so often the entry pass is not coming from a natural passer anymore. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even the guards, to be fair, and even guys who are good pick and roll passers, it's just a different skill set. It's a different timing. It's a different placement, you know, from that stationary position, knowing how the post defender is going to try to lunge or react. And you bring up a really interesting point about those switches, too, because if you have a big making that entry pass and you have a guard down low, even if the guard has a size advantage, you're not able to just lob it over 
the top in the same way unless your big has a significant size advantage as well because you have that length on the perimeter denying the pass. And so in a lot of cases, I wonder if those bigs are forced to go low. You go throw in that bounce pass into the post, which is just so easy to pick off. And, you know, guards post play is really interesting for guards in general because I think its primary use in the NBA right now is just as a distraction. It's just there in that kind of Jason Kidd mold where they just want to see what you do when they post up your smaller guys, especially if you have really undersized guards. Uh, I don't know that there are that many guys in the NBA who are backcourt players or even wings who are really significant scoring. I hope you're loving this conversation. I love this kind of inner basketball stuff with Rob Mahoney, and he's really, really good at it. So I'll I'll stay on that uh, for a while with him. This is a big win for you here. I am. I promise you, this is a big win for you right here. Sherry's berries, gifts like no other, for your love that's like no other. This Valentine's Day, they sent us Sherry's berries. We got. We actually rocked. We got two boxes. They accidentally sent us an extra. It was awesome. They are the juiciest, most fabulous strawberries covered in chocolate, freshly dipped. It's it's incredible. You can get them for $19.99 plus shipping, or you double the berries for just $10. Go to berries.com and use the promo code LOCKED. My code is LOCKED. Help support the show. Help support our sponsors. Use the code LOCKED. They're decadent, fresh, juicy, sweet. Oh, they're so good. They're actually even big enough that they're shareable, frankly. They were divine. My daughter thought they were the best thing that we've ever had come to the house because I do radio. And I drive a car right now from a company that's sponsoring my podcast. And she thinks this is better. Summer talk with chocolate chips, decorative swizzles, chopped nuts, whatever you want. Surprise her in the office, the workplace, or surprise her at home. Make sure you hit this Valentine's Day out of the park. And I promise you, Sherry's Berries will do it for you. You can also add in some flowers as well if you want to go to berries.com use the promo code locked and you will hit valentine's day out of the park or you'll hit a three-pointer or you'll dunk probably should use a basketball analogy make sure that you give a gift like no other for the love like no other this valentine staying on this craft theme which again is nowhere in any of the notes i sent sent rob today uh i had a fascinating conversation with gordon hayward today um obviously he's he's on a really meteoric Slow meteoric rise. I don't know if that makes sense. He's improved. He's going to end up improving his scoring for seven straight years. He's going to go from a guy who averaged seven points a game in a year to twenty-two this year. I'm not sure that's ever happened. I'm going to have to go do some research on that. What he's doing as a player is is really unheard of, and the jumps he's taking in years five, six, and seven in his career are unheard of. But I was. He's just so good around the basket right now. And I asked him a little bit about it, and there was two things that were interesting to share with you, Rob, and get your thoughts on. One is the idea that he's so much stronger now that he can slow down because contact doesn't bother him. I mean, that's a big one. And especially, you know, not only for guys like Hayward and, and guys who are you know, running pick and roll, but when you look at what he's doing off ball and the way you get hung up, when you look at guys who are – the guys who make their living as cutters in the NBA – they have to be so strong. I mean, I think about like guys like Tony Allen, for example, who, I mean, he's he's quick even at his you know even at his age, even at this stage in his career, quick on his feet, can change angles, do obviously does really unexpected things, but he also cuts in a way that you just can't hang him up. 
if you're a defender. You can't hold him. You can't bump him in a way that's really going to get him off course. And, you know, Tony Allen's not a marvelously effective offensive player. On most nights, he might even be a negative one. But just the idea that you have guys who can cleanly go through the lane when they need to is really the difference. And, And as you were saying, in a lot of cases between these younger guys who are coming into the NBA and just don't have that strength yet. And to circle back, I mean, this is one of the things with Zach Levine, like we were talking about earlier, where when he was moving without the ball in his early seasons, when, when he wasn't playing point guard and when he didn't have the ball, he was just getting jammed up to the point where this is the most athletic and explosive player in the NBA probably at that point. And he can't get free coming off a screen because he's just not strong enough to get through that yet. So I can definitely see what Gordon's talking about. The other one he talked about was that he can his ball handling's better so he can keep his eye on the rim. Interesting. Which what's really would... interesting about the Rubio aspect of things because Rubio's right. got such a great handle, he should be able to finish. Yeah. I mean, the Ricky Rubio thing, I think, will be one of the great mysteries for a long time, just in terms of a guy who he he sees the angles of the game on a level that, you know, 97, 98% of the league does not. And yet the angle from his hand to the square on the backboard is broken for some reason. <laughs> um, but, you know, Gordon, I always think about, I think it was the 23, 13, 14 season. I could be mistaken in terms of kind of where his big, okay, we're going to put the ball in Gordon's hands. This is you know, after Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap had cleared out. We're going to put the ball in Gordon's hands. We're going to have a season of, of really slow development through him where he's going to have to figure a lot of things out in terms of his ball handling, in terms of how to get from point A to point B on the floor and these reads. And not a lot of teams have that opportunity for even even prospects as good as Hayward clearly was at that point. And that's when you see guys kind of they just go through their career and they're generally one thing the whole way. And, and if Gordon Hayward were the same player now in terms of form and function that he was as a first or second year player, there's no way he's an all star. He's an all star because of all these little aspects that have kind of come into his game where he's more confident, like you said, with his ball handling, where he's able to create a little bit better, where he's able to take these steps. It's it's such a unique opportunity that the Jazz were able to rebuild in the way that they did and were able to give so many guys different kinds of spots and spotlights. I wonder how many teams are really going to have that going forward, especially in a climate where you know if if you are the you know the Sixers of the world, you take a lot of blowback for that. You take a lot of blowback for this idea that you know you're going to go through a really slow and gradual and deliberate rebuild. And on the other side of that, we've seen teams that have been at least mildly successful being pretty good. Maybe they have one bad season due to an inopportune injury or whatever, and they kind of continue their trajectory. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks, for example. The uh, you wrote a big piece on the Jazz. They are the third best net rating in the league. They are fourth in the West. How good are they? They're really good. They're really good, and it's one of they're tricky to get night to night. I'm still trying to figure them out in terms of why they're looking flatter on some games than others. And I haven't looked into the details. Maybe it's a travel thing. Maybe it's the dynamics of you know how many games they've played in X days or something like that. I love the defense, and I love the way the offense is picked up in terms of you know getting into their stuff. At least it seems to me a little quicker than last year. They're obviously still very slow relative to the vast majority of the league, but I like their deliberation. I like. You know, they churn out points in a way that, you know, like we we're talking about earlier with Jerry Sloan, that is, is very different than a way that a lot of the league does. And yet they still have all these weapons. They have so much flexibility. I like that a team that has that kind of balance 
takes its time in terms of figuring out what option is best. And they have so many different lineup combinations that I think could flummox a lot of teams in a potential playoff series, could really cause problems, whether they want to go big or small, even when they are big, whether they want to go Derek Favors big or Trey Lyles big, who, I mean, Lyles has been one of my favorite players to watch this season. They they have something there in terms of that balance and that flexibility that I think is really fun and certainly makes them one of the best teams in the league. All right, staying on the craft theme for a second, and uh, this is more jazz-heavy than I planned on, but I'm using, I guess I'm using them as examples. I think this is the most interesting one in the league right now. How do I look at, and maybe these two players are not a great example, but they're drafted next to each other. They were teammates in college, so it's fun to compare these two. So Trey Lyles is playing 14 to 16 minutes a night, and he is playing what I, he is not allowed to make mistakes, right? He can if he makes a mistake that costs them the game, it's a big dang deal right now. Devin Booker, the next pick in the draft, different style player, same draft class, same college, is playing thirty six minutes a night of just absolutely uninhibited basketball. If he makes a mistake, who cares? He doesn't get back defensively. You know what? He's not getting taken out of the game. How do you then judge these two players who just on a piece of paper, oh my gosh, Booker's killing it, Trey is failing. How do you evaluate these two players when they live in such different basketball stratospheres? Well, I think if you've watched the Jazz this year and you think Trey is failing, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what he's being asked to do. And as you mentioned, the leash that he has in order to make different kinds of plays. And Booker... Is is really in a spot where I thought it was gonna I thought he was gonna be you know reined back a little bit this year pulled back as you know Eric Bledsoe was getting healthy and Brandon Knight was getting healthy and they were really gonna have you know a lot of people who were gonna be demanding the ball on the perimeter this season but he really has looked as you said kind of completely uninhibited and I think that's smart for him you want to get him into a mode where especially last season I, I didn't expect him to be as good a pick and roll player or as promising a pick and roll player as I think he turned out to be I have no idea what the Suns thought in terms of his prospects in that regard kind of coming into his career you mean but the since, idea that, you mean since he'd run seven his entire year <laughs> right. at, at, under Calipari <laughs> I think so. I think that's a defensible uh, position to hold going into that. Yeah. But uh, just the idea that you want to play out the string with that, and you want to see kind of okay, you know, he has, you know, he has pretty good chemistry with Tyson Chandler. He has some things that he does well, and some things he reads well, and some things he doesn't. And we want to see, you know, if we just give him the, give him as much rope as he wants, what he's going to do. And I think, you know, if you put Lyles on a team like the Suns, so if you put Lyles on a different kind of, you know, in a different kind of position on a different kind of team he could put up some crazy numbers there's no doubt about that and and to be fair most of his problems are similar to Booker's problems in that I just don't think that either one of them is there defensively yet in the same way that most young players aren't so if you're looking at just like you know what is this guy producing I mean Booker is at least in part a product of his opportunity and it's easier as a guard because if you're a big, I mean, maybe Joel Embiid is the big exception to this rule, but it can just be so hard to get the ball consistently enough, even if you're on a bad team, to put up really impressive numbers. I think Trey Lyles is still a really promising player. I'm really intrigued by, especially with the Jazz, the way he kind of fits into their mix and gives them a little of a couple different things that they want. Um, but in terms of seeing one as being vastly more valuable than the other, I think it's probably just kind of a counting stats thing coming home to roost. Yeah, I am convinced if Trey Lyles was... Starting in Marquise Chris's position, he'd be averaging seventeen, six and four. I don't think that's crazy at all. Right. I mean, 
with the way that he can space the floor, with even you know the skills he has in terms of taking guys face up, even a little back to the basket, and the Suns are a team that play fast. But you could see him fitting so well into what they do there, uh, if, you know, if if he just had that kind of opportunity, which is fine. And, and ultimately, I don't know if it all comes out in the wash. I don't know that one path is distinctly better than the other. It's just that you fall into different situations, just like you fall into different coaching staffs and developmental developmental staffs and different philosophies. Uh, I, I don't know that. It, Lyles is disadvantaged in the long run or the Booker's disadvantage in the long run. It just kind of depends on their specific games and personalities and whether they can find the balance in it. So switching gears, there was a tweet that was sent out by Mark Stein of ESPN the other day while watching Denver that this will be the last time that Nikolai Jokic does not participate in an all-star game. And I, I got the sentiment. And then I was like, well, okay, but we feel the same way about Rudy Gobert, and everyone in the world feels the same way about Carl Anthony Towns, and it's the first time in five years LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't voted, wasn't put in, and Blake Griffin wasn't an all-star either, and then you start, I mean, the amount, and then you have Joel Embiid, and you have Chris Depps Przingis, and I, you know, we can now push LaMarcus and Blake out of this conversation, but the amount of young bigs... And this game right now, and the variety of skill sets amongst those young bigs, to me, is just stunning for a game that we talk about supposedly going away from the big. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, on that point, too, I mean, Chris Paul also wasn't an all-star this year, right? And so, you know, yeah, that's how a that travesty, changed. by the way. It's I mean, it's I really think it's just kind of getting ahead of yourself in terms of, oh, he's going to be replaced anyway. But he was one of the best players in the NBA this season. The idea that he's not there when all of the precedent of NBA history says you vote in the guys who deserve it. And then the commissioner is going to pick the next, you know, whoever is, you know, makes the most sense for the roster. We've seen a couple of different philosophies in terms of who the next guy up is. But I think you have to vote him in. But just another name to put on that list of if Chris Paul's there. You're really kind of stretching what those wild card spots are going to be, and as you mentioned, this this list of of great qualified Western Conference players. I hesitate before I say that anybody is a lock basically for the All Star game in coming seasons. It's just so competitive, uh, especially at the guard spots. But the bigs, like you said, are are really coming up in an interesting way, and coming up in a way where they're so widely skilled, and you know Embiid is kind of you know in, in some part the face of that right now as a guy who really is a post-up big in so many ways, but has that range, has the ability to move so effectively, is an awesome rim protector. I don't know what to make of him. I don't know, especially, you know, we do this exercise, you know, coming into every season where we rank the top 100 players in the NBA. And I'm already thinking forward to next year, like, what do I do with a guy who's only going to play X number of games, X number of minutes, who's clearly going to be lesser in those regards than so many other qualified players but he's so good when he's out there, and the Sixers are so adequate, which for that roster is kind of a surprising thing in its own right when he's out there. I don't I don't know what to make of a player who does that. Well, then I'm going to share again. <laughs> this is hysterical. At the end of the, we're going to do rapid fire. At the end, I'm just going to hit you for like 30 seconds on the things I actually told you I was going to talk about because <laughs> we just keep going somewhere else. Um, so when you were doing that top 100 concept, I was doing – I was playing around with a – a new kind of level of player, and I, I, I never finalized this. I've never shared this publicly, so this is – I may be making a fool of myself. So I was trying to think of if you have this player on your roster, you're guaranteed to be in the top five offensively or defensively. Because – and here's – let me get you the background. If you're top five and one of the two, you make the playoffs. Okay. Right? Like, I mean, really, if you look at the history of it, like Milwaukee – 
uh, was top five defensively once under Scott Skiles and 29th offensively because they were under Scott Skiles. And so, therefore, they didn't make the playoffs. But I think just about every top five offense and top five defensive team makes the playoffs. And so, who are these players? Like, so James Harden, if he's on your roster, are you top five offensively, almost guaranteed? Almost. I mean, this this year's version of James Harden, I think so. Steph Curry. Yes. Kevin Durant. Yes. Kawhi Leonard, defensively. Yeah, I mean, that's. I, I think I, I want to say I was talking to you about this in terms of kind of where we thought the Spurs were going to be this year and the shakeup that they were going to get just by losing Duncan, by losing some of their continuity. And I really, you know, I, I you know, Kawhi Leonard's obviously an amazing defender and a terrific offensive player. I did not think that the Spurs were going to be the best defense in the NBA with the roster that they have. He he may be deserved to be, you know, in this list with a bullet just based on their performance this season. Well, I would like to thank all of you and I won't I'll just blame you and not the three other people. So, in the element of groupthink, I definitely have I'll have I, I'm guilty of as well, right? So, I have Yeah. I have three or four people, you're one of them, who when I think something, if you were to come out dramatically on the other side of it, I'd be ooh Okay, I got to rethink this a little bit. And you did the opposite for me on the Spurs this year. <laughs> it really, you only reconfirmed my incorrect thought. <laughs> I'm, I'm very sorry to let you down. And by the way, I think Zach did the same. Zach Lowe did the same thing. So um, there were we've few, got we've got cover. Then he he is the biggest profile right. of us. He can take the hit on this one. Yeah, we'll blame it uh, on Zach Lowe. Um, and you know, if he actually hears this podcast, then he can call me and get mad at me. Um, so. Rudy Gobert, see, automatically puts you in the top five defensively. I think he's close. See, this, I find this. I'm still trying to figure out how to evaluate defensive players. Yeah. Right. So, if I like, I actually believe that Rudy Gobert is one of the ten best players in the NBA right now. And people think I'm crazy, partially because I also believe in the offensive value of the dunker. Right, so he's, shoot, mean, he's shooting 67%. I got it. He's not, by theory, creating himself, but he's using nine possessions a night, two point, and I use the number, I don't know if you've if I've ever bored you with pack, but my ra- offensive rating system has him as the eighth or ninth most impactful offensive system player because if an average player in the league used those nine or ten possessions, he's scoring two or three points more than them. Oh, for sure. I guess with him, the question would be how much do you lose in terms of, you know, he's he's in a rare position where basically no matter what lineup the Jazz threw out there, the other four guys and at least three of them are guys who can move the ball and make plays. And so if you aren't in that position and you or you aren't in a position where you're playing with Chris Paul or LeBron James or Russell Westbrook or these elite level drive and dish type players – how much does his offense take a step back from that? And, you know, you think about the same thing with guys like like what meaningfully, obviously defensively, I think Gobert is on a different level than DeAndre Jordan. But in terms of offense, is Gobert meaningfully different than DeAndre? Well, let, let, let me take an answer. Let me I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your question with a question because that's obnoxious and I'm going to do it. Do it. Is let's say that we decide Gobert's offense is terrible, which it's not because it's no. But let's say is it any worse than Steph Curry's defense? I don't think Steph Curry's defense is terrible either. Okay. All right. So let's say both of their offenses, and I'm just, this is more of a thought exercise. Though, sure. And, just, and, and it's a thought, I'm fighting group thinking. I, you just heard me right there get nervous of it, right? Um, and that's really what that was. That was my excuse of this, what I think might be a stupid thought, but I'm going to keep going with it. 
So if we classify Rudy Gobert and Steph Curry equal defensively to, you know, to their weak side, right? So Gobert's offense and Steph's defense, is Rudy's defense as good as Steph's offense? I don't think so. Interesting. Even though we both just put them in as top five guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, in terms of their respective kind of categories, I think there's something, too, to be said about whether or not it's really a 50-50 split between is defense worth as much as – is great defense worth as much as great offense in the, in the way that if you are an unbelievably great defensive team, I think that's more overwhelming to even great – even if you're playing a great defensive opponent – it can be more overwhelming in that situation than the inverse, than the opposite. Uh, I just think that the way that the rules are set up now, the way that even with the way that defense has evolved and, and the sophistication there and the effectiveness of guys like Gobert, you know, great offense still you know, beats great defense X percentage of the time. And I think it's significant enough where I don't think it's a huge distinction. I think maybe we're talking about 55-45 or even 60-40, maybe depending on the right matchup. But I do think that offense has an edge where it's not a totally even split between effective offensive and defensive players. I agree with you on that. I'll wilt, I'll wilt in my argument right there. This is <laughs> the old axiom that defense wins championships is absolutely not true. As most axioms turn out to be. Yes. All right, let's do a little quick rapid fire. Before we do rapid fire, let me tell you about Blue Apron. Cooking at home, making it a family event, or just wowing your family with fabulous food, or surprising your wife so that then it's easier for her, Blue Apron can do all these things for you. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking Easy and accessible to everyone. So what you, they have these fabulous recipes. You choose them out, and with the promo code L-O-C-K-N-B-A, you get your first three meals for free, and they come with every meal pre-packaged. They come with the recipe. They come with pre-portioned ingredients to make it delicious, to make it easy, and so you're getting this incredible meal that you probably couldn't get otherwise, or at least you're going to be able to make it a lot easier, and you're getting it in about 40 minutes or less, and it's amazing, it's creative, it's something you might not have thought of yourself, and Blue Apron takes care of all of it for you by having it arrive in all of their pre-portioned ingredients. For about less than $10 per person per meal, you get this world-class meal. Not all ingredients are the same, and Blue Apron has relationships to make sure that all of your ingredients are the freshest and best, or frankly, they'll take care of it if it's not. Roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad, udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs, Cashew chicken stir-fry or some of the ones that were on the menu recently. Check it out. Great variety, flexible, easy, and guaranteed freshness. It's what makes Blue Apron so special. Use the promo code LOCK, L-O-C-K-N-B-A, the promo code L-O-C-K-N-B-A, and you get your first three meals for free. Blue Apron, making family cooking fun, making it fabulous, and making it awesome. Uh, What do I have? Uh, How does the Knicks fiasco end? I think Carmelo ultimately gets traded just because he's sick of it. But I think that's everything that Phil Jackson has done has been laughable and transparent. And I, I just hope that Knicks fans in this, you know, I don't really keep a great pulse on, on what that fan base is feeling. Uh, but this is one of those situations where the guy wants to stay. 
and I understand that a lot of Knicks fans don't want him to, and they have very reasonable arguments for why he why he should be gone or why the team should move on or why it's better left in around building around Porzingis. And all of that is cogent and makes total sense to me. But in a world where anyone values loyalty or institutional standard or the idea that you want to build a culture where guys want to stay, and the Knicks, by all accounts, have not built that culture, and this guy still wants to stay because he loves the city and he likes being there – I think that's something that, that we can't just write off, and it's kind of unfortunate about all this where, again, I understand why you want to move on, but it's, it's kind of a precarious situation. Uh, anyone legitimate challengers to the Warriors and the Cavaliers? Warriors, I just don't see it. Cavaliers, I think, can be caught. Uh, if they really aren't on top of it. And we've seen some of it with you know just their play in January, and they're going to be better in the playoffs, obviously, even just individual stuff like you know attention to detail for certain players on defense and things like that. I just – I think even with as, as weird and flimsy as kind of the second tier of the East can be, and maybe I would be more confident if, if Toronto had been playing consistently better, but I still feel like you know with the way that Washington has pushed them, with the way that Boston could potentially be if they ever get you know everything in their act together at the same time, I feel like somebody can at least challenge them. I don't, I don't, you know, obviously I'm still betting on I would take the Cavs over the field, but I feel a little, a little shakier about that now than I did at the start of the year. Uh, who are the three best players on the Clippers next year to start the season? Oh, this is a good one. Oh. I mean, JJ is also a free agent, right? So DeAndre is the only one guaranteed to be under contract if they choose to keep him. I think DeAndre stays. I think one of Chris Paul and Blake comes back, but not both. The third one, I'm not so sure. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being Carmelo Anthony there. Well, that's a little bit of what that question was, isn't it? If Carmelo <laughs> Anthony gets traded to the Clippers, are they a legit championship threat in the West? I mean, I think they're more threatening. I think they would have a lot to figure out, and some of it's going to depend on what they have to give up. Because if if Redick is involved in that deal, to me, it's a non-starter. Uh, so you know, if if you can sell New York on the Jamal Crawford Austin Rivers package and whatever other you know flotsam you want to throw in there, I think that makes them a more compelling team just in terms of the firepower you would have to keep up with and the idea that you no longer have that Luke Richard and Bamute, Paul Pierce, Wesley Johnson small forward spot to cheat off of into the pick and roll to get a little pre rotation going. Man, that is a tough team to guard if they're healthy. I think I think they're. They're in the mix. I think they could, you know, certainly make things interesting for a team like the Warriors. Does Isaiah Thomas' success and the space of a modern floor open up the game for future smaller players? No, I don't think so. And you know, some of it is, you know, this is a guy who was shooting a ridiculous, unprecedented percentage on layups when he was playing for the Kings. You know, like he was—he's an, an amazing, exceptional finisher in a way that even great small athletic players just aren't and maybe it's a factor of the way their games evolve when you know when you're in the Nate Robinson mold and you can shoot that well and you know even Nate early in his career you know dunking on in transition a little bit more it's just so hard to consistently at every step of basketball along the way go along the developmental path that would lead you to be a good finisher if you're that small so I just don't see people really mimicking what Isaiah has done how good's Washington I think they're pretty good 
I'm, I mean, certainly really encouraged by the way Otto Porter's played, you know, the way under Scott Brooks that Bradley Beal has played. I think Kelly Oubre being a real rotation guy, and that's really a credit to Brooks in terms of the way he's brought him along and the lineups he's used him in. They're interesting. And and I think in the East, that's all you can really ask for right now. I don't think any of those, as I was saying, those second tier teams are particularly great, but I don't see a meaningful difference between the way that Toronto and Boston are playing and the way that Washington is in any way that would favor those other two teams. The uh, Twitterverse might have to back off Eric Spolster and Scott Brooks one of these days. One of these days. I mean, the Spolster stuff never made sense, to be honest. And uh, it was always interesting how you could kind of talk about the Oklahoma City thing in two ways. Like, on the one hand, people were talking about how Kevin Durant so clearly preferred to have the ball in his hands, to play a little isolation basketball, to work things a little bit. And we saw that going into Golden State, where that was kind of his default comfort zone. And at the same time, roasting Scott Brooks for you know, having an offense that catered to that while being one of the most efficient in the NBA. Right. And had, you know, some other, to, to be, you know, in his defense, had some other wrinkles in there as well. Not a perfect coach by any measure, but Scott Brooks knows some things. Well, I had, I had, my favorite Spolster story of all time was I had a coach in the league talking to me who was complaining about Spolster. I'm, to this day, I promise you that this was a complaint because he, all he does is sit in the film all summer long, take everybody's best plays and implement them. And I was like, wow, that sounds brilliant. <laughs> and it's like I kind of then once tried to find out if this was true. And basically I, I never asked Eric specifically because it's it's kind of loaded and I didn't don't know yeah. him that well seeing him twice a year. And uh, but someone said to me, like, if you're once a film guy, you're always a film guy. Right. So Eric's probably been doing that for 25 years. Right. Sitting well, in the, the film room, editing, looking for the best plays you can find and then implementing them. Oh, absolutely. And and the fact that even as you said, it is a loaded question that you would ask a coach that and it would come across as you taking a dig at them or trying to trap them, I think is evidence of that whole approach where why in any universe would that be a bad thing of you know collecting and piecing together all these things that have worked in so many different places and you have evidence, you have it on film that this works, you know, you can draw up as many brilliant plays on the backs of cocktail napkins as you want. I, I kind of favor the ones that work. Rob, I have a spreadsheet that I keep track of how often I've listened to every other announcer in the league. Right? Like, am I cheating? <laughs> or am I just trying to get better? I would think I'm a, I'm a vote. Like, so I do the same thing. Like, I listen to Sean Grande and Brian Seaman and Alan Orton and Tim Roy and Craig, Craig Ackerman and now Matt Thomas and Houston, all these guys all the time. And Steve Holman and Al McCoy to hear different styles and try to get better. The other one, uh, uh, I hope Scotty doesn't mind me telling this story. Uh, so we went in and played Oklahoma City two years ago, I think, on the day in which there was an article written about how he didn't give the ball enough to players other than Durant and Westbrook. And so I know him pretty well. So I said to him, hey, by the way, could you make sure tonight you follow that article? Because <laughs> they're playing us. And he goes, yeah, don't you wish the Bulls went to Dickie Simpkins and Judd Boosler more in the NBA Finals? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> every now and then. I don't know why, how we got there. I apologize if I just offended. Anyone. Oh, no. I, and, I, and I don't I don't know the article you're referencing, but I have to wonder if some other you know unnamed NBA sources who so happen to work for other teams 
said that. Like, you know, why, why don't they pass to these other guys more? I mean, that seems like ingenious subterfuge. If you can <laughs> lay, you know, lay that root work. You might passing away from Duran and Westbrook a little more. You might have to do a craft article on on that kind of stuff at the NBA here at some point. You have to do a piece cool. on on the inner workings of how other teams try to torch other teams' trade deadlines and all sorts of other fun things. That it's all kinds stuff. of sneaky. It is. Rob, thanks so much for the time. I'm really excited to uh, listen to the new podcast, and uh, uh, people can get give give us the name of that again in case they didn't grab it early. Yeah, it's called Breakaway. You can find it on iTunes, anywhere you would normally find podcasts. But yeah, appreciate anyone checking it out. And by the way, that was a free plug for something that's not a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. <laughs> I just want to point that out. That was just me being nice. He, there's what no a gracious affili- host. Yeah, there's no affiliation at all. Um, so anyway, thank you very much. Keep up the great work. Loving all of it. And uh, hope hope you enjoy the conversation today. Thanks, David. Well, I really enjoyed talking to Rob. I hope you did as well. If you can thank him at, at Rob Mahoney on Twitter. That would be great. I really appreciate it. And if you can support our sponsors. We had three of them today. SeatGeek with the promo code LOCKED. You get $20 back on your first purchase. Download the SeatGeek app. Enter in the promo code LOCKED. And when you make your first purchase, they'll send you $20. We also had Sherry's Berries. Trust me on this one, guys. They're really awesome. Sherry's Berries. So go to berries.com and then enter in the promo code LOCKED. Berries, B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. And finally, Blue Apron. Neat home cooking experience that customized and makes it flexible for you. Promo code on that one's a little different. L-O-C-K-N-B-A. L-O-C-K-N-B-A is what they've done for their promo code. So those are our three sponsors. Remember, WarbyParker.com slash locked also has been a sponsor for us over the time. We really appreciate them. Indochino with a cut made-to-measure suits, promo code locked. So that's a good one as well. Thank you very much for supporting our sponsors, for thanking our guests, and most of all, for listening to Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.